Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the podcast Invested, which is where we get you invested. Get it? Invested. We're in so investing. Clever. I know it's so clever. <laughs> getting invested in your life, in your money, with your money, getting invested in your life, money supporting your life. Invested money. in your education about investing. About the world, about companies that exist in the world and support our economy. Yeah. We're I here mean, fighting the good fight against <laughs> those devilish new robo-advisors that are coming out, that are, <laughs> that are out to get your money and stick it into ETFs. And then someday you're going to wake up and go, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I could have become very wealthy if I just learned something. That's well, my thought. I know exactly why you did that. It's because you didn't have time to learn how to invest. Well, there is that. And so we're hoping you're gonna to learn to invest in your car on your way to work, listening to us, because we're gonna exactly. teach you how to do it. Because 45 minutes a week is doable. And yeah. I really, I mean, I've been doing it. I can do 45 minutes a week, so I'm trying it out. All right, so I think let's get rolling. We have been promising the lemonade stand valuation now for about eight years, and we're gonna do it today. This well, is we've it. been doing it for the last, I don't even know. We've been doing it so many episodes, I don't even know how long we've been doing it. I know, it. I know. We're but starting... I think we, I've, I, I feel like I've gotten really good info. So well done, Dad. <laughs> Thank you. Let's cheer ourselves on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we ended by saying that we are now going, so we went through the discounted cash flow analysis, which is the typical term. And... We are calling it the margin of safety analysis. Do you use both terms? No, I stay away from discounted cash flow analysis because I, I don't want it to feel like you got to have an MBA to do this because it's stupid. You don't have to. It's, it, you know, discounted cash flow analysis. It always sounds like something a banker uses, which is, of course, what they do use. But I want you to understand it what, for what it really means. And what it really means is that you're you're going to take the pile of money that this thing is going to make in the future and you're going to say well if this pile of money is a hundred dollars that i'm going to get over the lifetime of this investment i'm going to get a hundred dollars in tens and fifteens as we go along then here's the pile of a hundred dollars what would i pay for that today to get that hundred dollars and i mean i'm not going to pay you a hundred dollars if i'm not going to get it for the next 10 years i'm, I'm going to pay you a lot less than that okay yeah and it kind of how depends. How much less is the question? Yeah, how much less than that? And that's what I call the minimum acceptable rate of return. How much do I need to make every year? If I know I'm going to get $100, how much do I need to make every single year in order to justify that, you know, that investment? So here's kind of how we're looking at it. We're going to say that some year down the road, let's say 10 years from now, nice long time, 10 okay. years from now, we're going to get $100. So I know I'm going to get paid $100. So the question is, ten years now. yeah, 10 years, I don't get to get any money between now and then. I'm just collecting the whole 100 bucks in the 10th year. So in the year, whatever, 10 years out. So the question is, what should I, what would be a reasonable amount of money to pay for the $100 today, knowing I'm not going to get it for 10 years? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. And there's an answer to it. There's actually a logical answer as to how much you should pay for that $100, okay? Now, if you go to business school, they're gonna tell you you need to figure out the free, the, the risk-free rate and you need to figure out the sharp ratio of the investment and you need to figure out this and that. And I'm telling you right now, you don't need to figure all that out. All you need to do is just say that in general, there's a minimum amount of money I wanna make every year. And that's what a thing is worth to me that minimum amount of money per year. And okay. I'm saying that that minimum amount of money per year is 15%. That's just a number you picked. That's just what you're comfortable with. Yep, that's what I'm comfortable with because 15% is good. Yeah, it's that a, is good. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I think 10% right? is pretty good. 10% 10, 10 is pretty good, you know? Um, but 15% 15 is, is really like good. good. Yeah. Like I'm going to give it a solid good. Yeah. And we want a really good number here because we're going to buy this thing and we're not geniuses. So there's some risk involved here. 
right? We're risking well, our retirement Apparently, money. since we don't know how to do the official analysis anyway, yes, I would say there's some risk involved in our, um, our math. Yeah, there's definitely risk. So we want to be sure we're doing it kind of conservatively. And so we're starting off with a very not conservative number. 15% is not conservative. 15% is a big rate of return that any fund manager on the planet would be so excited to get that if he was investing and making 15% a year. So when you say not conservative, you're saying that that's a, that's a high goal. It's a high goal. As far as return. Yeah. As far as rate of return. Yeah. So let's start with that. That That's a really, really good rate of return. Because and I think using that number you said last time actually is conservative when we're doing our math on, on analyzing the valuation. Yeah, because the higher the rate of return that you demand from an investment that's going to you're going to sell for $100, you know what you're going to sell it for. You're going to sell it for $100. So the higher the rate of return that you demand every year, then the then the lower amount of money you can pay for that. Because if if you paid $100 for the $100, you're going to get a zero return, right? You just get a return of your money. If you paid $50 for the 100, then you're doubling your money in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay? <clears throat> Which would actually be a doubling your money in 10 years is actually a return of 7% per year. If you really? double your money. Yeah. Over 10 years. Yep. Huh. There's okay. a thing called the rule of 72 that we talked about a long time ago. We should maybe devote a whole thing to it. But basically, if you divide the number of years it takes to double one time into 72, it tells you how many years it'll take you to do it. Or sorry, it'll it tells you the, the if, sorry, I said that wrong. If you If you divide the number of years it takes you to double once, it'll tell you your annual rate of return, your compounded annual rate of return. So you divide 10 years, which oh, takes double compounded. once. Yeah. That's important. And you divide that into 72, you get 7.2. So 7.2% per year is your compounded rate of return. So I'm not going to get all into that right now. Let's just say, yeah. just to follow this through, if we if we paid $50 for this investment, we know we're going to sell for 100 then we double our money in 10 years once, that's 7% per year. If we paid $25 for that investment, we're going to double our money twice over that period of time. 25 becomes 50, 50 becomes 100. Okay, got All it. Right? So that's two doubles in 10 years, which means if I double it twice, then I'm doubling it once in five years. Yeah. And if I double it once in five years, that turns out to be a 15% per year rate of return, compounded. Okay, so what we can see is that the, the, the higher the minimum acceptable rate of return, the lower the amount of money we're paying for this investment that we're going to sell it. for $100. So this is, in, in business school, they call it so discounted, discounted rate. So we're just going to call it the minimum acceptable rate of return. And remember that it means how much we're going to make every single year, assuming that we know what we're going to sell this thing for. Okay. It's an aggressive goal as far as rate of return, but using that number in our calculations is a conservative number. That's right. So the bigger the goal, the more conservative Got it. the number is we're paying for this lemonade stand. Got it. All right. Yeah. And so that's what we were getting to is that um, we actually haven't applied our numbers to the lemonade stand yet. That's right. So we're going to. So now we understand a little bit what minimum acceptable rate of return actually means. And it means we're after a very aggressive, wonderful, superstar rate of return. And that's how we're going to price things in the market. And we're not going to worry about what, you know, how risky that particular investment is or anything else. We're just saying, hey, man, whatever it is we're buying, I need 15% a year. Okay? <laughs> so, now I don't know why that tickles me. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So, here's here's the thing that's that that we have to understand is this analysis that we're doing right now, this is called what we call a sticker price analysis or intrinsic value. We talked about it last time as intrinsic value. We talk about it as sticker price because that makes me remember um, what I'm doing here. And the sticker price, of course, is the sticker on the window of a car at the new car lot. And you know you never pay sticker, right? Everybody knows you never pay sticker. 
So sticker price is what we think this thing is worth, but we never pay sticker. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Hold on one second. Because sure. we're adding another term now. Sticker price. And sticker price, I think maybe you should just go ahead and then we'll figure out what the terms mean. Well, let's say, let's say right now, because last time we talked about intrinsic value. <clears throat> yeah. which is a very so business have, school term. This is, why I'm, this is where I'm going is like, we have margin of safety price, we have intrinsic value, we have discounted cash flow analysis, and now you're saying we have sticker price. So there are four different names, I think, for the same thing. No, no, definitely not. Okay. Intrinsic value and sticker price are names for the same thing. Okay. Margin ah. of safety is, is a discount to the sticker price or the intrinsic value. And... Um, minimum acceptable rate of return is a number that tells us what we want to get every year from this investment that we know we're going to sell for a certain amount of money in 10 years. And this okay. is how we're going to figure out the sticker price. What do you call the analysis that we went through last time? That the discounted cash flow analysis, in quotes, which was not the term we're going to use, what, what term do you call that? The margin um, of safety analysis? We call analysis? that the margin of safety analysis. Okay. And then within the margin of safety analysis is the sticker price slash intrinsic value? Yes. Okay, thank you. Right. So we're going to actually arrive at a sticker price or intrinsic value, also known as what this stupid thing is worth <laughs> as, a, as a company. Uh, hey, man, <clears throat> just give me 15% price. You just give me 15% a year and I'm a happy camper, okay? Just, price. Just give it to me. Just stop, <laughs> stop doing whatever you're doing. Just give it to me. <laughs> And by the way, we used the word, the term cap rate a while back uh, to to tie connecting a business value to what we would value real estate with. <clears throat> and of course, the cap rate, if you recall, is the rate of return you get every year. It's the rate of return you're getting when you buy the property. Yeah. Um, when you subtract out all of your costs of running the property, you don't include your mortgage or your interest and all that, but you just assume you bought it for all cash. The cap rate is the amount of money you get to put in your pocket at the end of the year. Okay. Right. Yes. And that's a percentage. And we remember that if we can buy a suboptimal property, if we can buy something where you got to mow the lawn and paint the building and fix the roof, and we can get that for a 10 cap rate or a 10% yield per year or a 10% return per year, that's really good. Yeah. We would say that's really good. So yeah. look at what we're doing now. We're saying, hey, when I go into this thing, this thing is going to give me. 15% per year. So you can see it's really high. Mm -hmm. It's a big number, okay? So, all right, let's figure out how we get there. Well, we go back to our lemonade stand. If you recall, we have earnings of $11 per year. Okay, I don't recall, so let's go through. <laughs> okay, <laughs> earnings have earnings. grown to $11 a year, and okay. they're growing, we figured, at at different kinds of rates. We remember the four growth rates where we had sales that were growing in the lemonade stand at 13% a year. Earnings themselves were growing at 13% a year. Free cash flow was growing even faster at 15% a year. Yeah. And our book value, our equity in the business um, is growing at 20% a year. And we had to figure out from those four, what's the best number to use for the overall growth rate? Now, something that gets kind of interesting about this is that Warren Buffett has often said that the book value growth rate, that is the the amount of money that's growing in the company that belongs to the owner, mm -hmm. is called the equity. And that's probably the best proxy for the overall long-term growth rate of the company. Okay, In this case, book value is growing at 20%. So we need to understand that what we want to do is pick the right number, but here we want to be a little bit conservative. We don't want to be crazy conservative, but a little bit conservative. So if we have sales and earnings both growing at 13 and free cash flow at 15, which is very close to 13, and then book values this outlier out here at 20, yeah. <clears throat> we want to dial that back. Okay. So I'm going to dial it all the way back to what sales and earnings are doing, which is 13%. But the key thing to understand here is that the growth rate that we're going to use for earnings in the future is not necessarily the historical earnings growth rate. Yes, it is a confusing point. Yeah, and it's one that we have hammered. It's very important. You know, we just can't look out the back window of the car and pick the growth rate of earnings 
historically and then use it in the future. We have to get an idea of the business itself. We have to understand the business, look at what the growth rates are on everything and come to the best estimate that we have of how it's going to be doing in the future. Because there might be some weird, like last year was a really weird year, either up or down that has changed the numbers. Or you also mentioned that it's a number that's easy to manipulate and we want to avoid management being able to manipulate that particular number. And that's why we're using all four of the numbers in order to choose the number that we're using. Dang, you are really remembering this stuff. Learning stuff. Wow, that was very, very good. Yes, exactly those things. So let's just stipulate here that we're going to use 13% for the growth rate. Um, And there's some learning here when you're doing this on your own. You guys just remember, you know, you're just starting out on this thing and um, and you want to you want to get the right growth rate because it's going to make a large difference in what you value the business at. So I would recommend that you use a tool like Zaxx or pretty much any website that provides data on on stocks, including ours at, at uh, rule1investing.com, you will get a growth rate from the analysts who are, av- they're also looking every year at what's gonna be the growth rate. That's how they're making their money, right? Is telling everybody what the growth rate's gonna be. Um, and they project out five years of growth and then you can get a number from all these websites that's the average growth rate of all of the analysts that are tracking that business. Cool, so that's even a fifth number that you can use as another data point. Well, I'm going to use it in well, this. Well, it's going to be multiple numbers, I guess, but you can find sort of a. Well, let's just say that we looked at the analysts of this lemonade stand and they said, on average, they're expecting the growth rate to be um, 15%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we look at our growth rate, which is 13%. We look at their growth rate, which is 15%. And, I, and my recommendation is use the more conservative of, of those two. So use the lower growth rate. Could you even just say, hey, I'm going to run the numbers using two different growth rates and see what happens? And I don't, you could, sure, you could. But you know what's going to happen is the higher growth rate is going to give you a bigger number. Right. 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 So I'm I'm going to suggest feel a little bit better. As a novice to this, use the analyst growth rate if it's lower than what you found historically, and use the historical growth rate if it's lower than the analyst. Okay. Okay, so we'll go for the more conservative one here. And Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So you're saying don't give yourself that emotional leverage of, but wait, I ran it with the higher growth rate. Yes. You gave me this other number. Yeah, let's Maybe keep that's it. That's the one that's correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the answer is neither of them are correct because, as you said, this is pretty estimate but um but we want to stay conservative. I don't know. I'm into conservatism. I like it. Yep. So Charlie Munger always says great stuff about investing. We should all listen to. And, and one of the things he says is that <clears throat> optimism is the enemy of great investing. Okay. <laughs> so um, in in life, it's very good to have optimism and put your you know future home on your refrigerator and do the secret and all that. But in investing, we want to be fairly conservative in our estimation of value. Not too conservative, we don't wanna get crazy because we can price ourselves out of everything, but just make a good approximation of what this company is gonna be worth down the road. And we're also going to make an assumption that down the road when we sell it, the market's gonna be good, not bad, okay? So that's built into these numbers, that it's gonna be a decent market when we sell it. So we have $11 is our trailing 12 months of earnings. And we know that we've now settled on a growth rate of 13% for the future. Okay. Now, we can now grow the earnings. We can now grow the earnings of $11 at this growth rate of 13%. So if we grew it one year, then the earnings would be $11 plus 13% on $11. Mm -hmm. Okay. And 13% of $11 is, uh, 10% of $11 is $1.10. So 13% must be about $1.40, I'm just guessing, ballpark, okay? So you can see that after one year, our earnings would be up to about $12.40. Okay. And then the next year, it's gonna grow 13% of the 12.40. 
and the earnings will go up by a dollar eighty that next year, and the next year after that, and the next year after that, and we're going to do that for ten years. Okay, now you need a calculator that'll do compounded growth rates, or you need to use the rule of seventy-two here. Um, but I would suggest you get out Excel. Using this calculation for where are we going with this? We're going out 10 years to figure out what the earnings are going to be in 10 years. Okay, because we haven't done that before. So nope. this is new. That's what we're going to do now. Now, before we get all kinds of emails about nobody knows where the market's going to be in 10 years or any company, they could all be broke. Um, what are we doing going out 10 years? Nobody can even estimate it out two years, much less 10 years. Um, the response to that is that you were right. That's true. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. That is true, um, but it becomes less true the more you know about that business. If you're capable of understanding the business, then you are more able to estimate its future than if you know nothing about the business. That would make sense. Well, it's making an educated guess versus just a guess. That's right. It's an educated guess. Number two, and this is hugely important, is that some businesses and not all businesses some businesses have an intrinsic characteristic that makes them durable and predictable. And we call that a moat. So going all the way back to the idea of moat, Charlie Munger in our first broadcast was talking about this intrinsic characteristic that makes a business durably competitive, that you can stay competitive. And what that ultimately means is you can continue growing your business for a long, long time at a, at a reasonable rate of growth because competition is not as strong because you have this intrinsic characteristic. So again, if you're, a, if you're like a railroad company, then you have right-of-ways for your tracks that nobody else can get. And that makes you fairly predictable, right? I'm not going to be able to know every year what your earnings are going to be. But so what it does is prevent competitors from coming into that market space it makes it more difficult for them. Exactly. It makes it much more difficult, right? Now, as we go forward in the future, things are changing faster and faster. It used to be that companies could last, you know, a long, long time without being disrupted or having their moat broken. Um, mm -hmm. Today, you know, it's much harder for businesses to stay competitive for a long period of time. So it's just that much more important. We do our homework and stick to the kinds of businesses that can continue to keep this moat going, Right. Right. So that's pretty key. Also, a good reason to, to continue to um, to watch your business as you're going forward in the future. So if you see that competition is starting to come in and and breach the moat, you know, it's maybe time to move businesses. Maybe you want to shift. OK, but these changes don't happen overnight. They, they take years to break a moat down if it's a good moat. Yeah, it's a good point, though, about what to look at. Once we've actually bought a company, which we haven't gotten to yet, but once we actually get to that, what do you do then? You know, like what's the checklist? We should right. talk about. We'll that. definitely go through that down the road. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna um, we're gonna just now start to look at growing this eleven dollars because we want to know what this business is going to be worth as a business. What's the intrinsic value of this business um, expected to be in ten years? We're gonna go figure that out. <clears throat> so. We're going to make an educated guess because we're, we are understanding our business. It has a great big moat and it's got management we trust. And those three things are going to allow us to have what we call a wonderful business that can be roughly predicted out 10 years. Okay. And obviously we have to stay on top of it. So now we're going to grow $11 at 13%. Okay. So how do we do that? Well, it just so happens that using the rule of 72, if we divide 13 into 72, we're going to get a number. It's going to be roughly 6, I think. Let's see, 6. That would be 78. So it would be about five and a half years, roughly. Five and a half to six years. It would take to double our $11 to $22. Okay, wait a second. We were... Growing eleven dollars at thirteen percent for ten years. Yes. And now you have switched it to how long does it take to double our eleven dollars? That's right. Because I'm trying to figure it out for ten years, but I don't have a calculator in my brain, so I'm going to just use the rule say, of seventy-two. 
just excel this thing up. Even I know how to do that. But. <laughs> well, ex if you use Excel on this, you'll use a formula that, and you know, if you do Excel, and, and believe me, I, I bet you more than half of the people out there listening to this podcast do not do Excel. Okay, so let's make sure everybody can do this at home. If you are one of the half that do do Excel, then you go into a, a you you put this number in and you say you say equals that's how you get a formula started equals f v parentheses and that will give you a formula that you can fill in the blanks on on how that will give you a compounded annual that you put in the growth rate of 13% you put in 10 years your starting point is $11 and this will spit out what the earnings will be in 10 years starting with 11, growing at 13%. Another really good way is to just Google it on, on, on Google. You can, ex <laughs> you can Google it? Well, no, you can Google like how to put in that formula. If, oh, okay, good. If, uh, and I promise you, you have Excel on your computer. If you bought Office, you have Excel on your computer. Yeah. So just go to Google, put in compounded rate. It'll tell you what to do. And then you put it into Excel. I know this because I... I know some people right now are, are their eyeballs are rolling back in their heads. Don't don't roll your eyeballs while you're driving. But <laughs> okay, so for everybody who's driving, you want to give them another method. Another method, which is this rule of seventy-two that you absolutely love. Yep. So. Now the equals FV parens parens on Excel will give you an exact number, but this is not an exact science. Okay, so. The, whatever number we're going to have is just a rough approximation anyway. I feel very uncomfortable with that. With rough approximations? Yes, because well, it's a number that you're going to get, which is a precise number that you're going to remember in your mind. And knowing that it's a rough approximation maybe helps you a little bit, but that's the number that you're going to remember. And I don't know, maybe it's the lawyer in me, but like, I want to be precise. Well, I the lawyer in you and the engineers and all the rest of us want to be precise. But here's the truth. It is better to be approximately right than precisely wrong. <laughs> I think Charlie Munger said that too. <clears throat> so we, we don't care about being precise because being all precise in everything can give us a little bit too much of a confidence that our number is perfection. Yes, and that I does feel not very exist. Perfection about it. No, there's no perfection about it. This is going to be approximate. Love. I feel some love for my precision. <laughs> so you're saying that if I stay approximate, I'll become less emotionally attached to my number. Yeah, you're going to be less emotionally attached, and you're going to be more recognizing that this is what it is. It is an approximation, and it is closer to accurate the more moat they get. The bigger the moat, the stronger the protection. The better the management team, <clears throat> the okay, more predictable kind of, historical kind of a number. Fun point. I'm kind of enjoying it. Stay approximate. Don't get emotionally attached. Be aware that your number is probably off. Yeah, your number's wrong. Your number's wrong. Yeah. I love it. I can tell okay. you that. I can't I can tell you whether it's that. wrong, low or wrong, high, but it's wrong. I can I mean, work with that. Sure. <clears throat> the odds of nailing it perfectly are about zero. So just understand we're approximating. So let's just go ahead and approximate. We've got $11. Okay. Yeah. And at 13%, we know how many years it takes to double once because we use the rule of 72. 13 into 72 is a little bit less than six. Okay. Which means it's a little bit less than six years to double one time. Okay. All right. So, so let's do it. Do you use five and a half or six? Okay. Let's just use something in the ballpark of five and a half or six. Oh. <clears throat> So we know that in five and a half or six, 11 becomes 22. Uh-huh. All right, with me? I mean, I <clears> agree <throat> with the, that statement. Okay, so 11 I, became... I don't know what to do with it. Follow me now. 11 becomes 22 in five and a half or six years. Okay, how many years are left <clears throat> to double it again? Four or four and a half. Yeah, um, four or four and a half. So if we know it takes five and a half to six years to double once, five and a half, six years to double once. I thought you were asking until the end of our 10 years, but you're saying until past the 10 years until it doubles again? Yeah, it's past the 10 years to double again. So it would actually take, since let's call it six. 
it would take 12 years to double twice. Yeah. Well, we've got $22 there. And we know that we're only going out 10 years. So we've got about four years to go to double to 44. We're going to double to 44 in 12 years. So if 22 goes to 44 in 12 years, how much does it go to in 10? Mm, I don't know. Two thirds, right? Okay. You know, ballpark. So essentially, we know we're growing by $22. And two thirds of that is, I don't know, you know, 16 or something. So let's just use 16. We'll say, okay, we got 16. And um, we're at 22 in five and a half to six years. Then we're adding another 16 in the next four years. So that puts us at 38. And that's ballpark. We're at 38 bucks. Okay, so we're at $38 per share of earnings 10 years from now. That's it. Okay. That's it. So now if I'm doing this a little faster, I would say, okay, I've got 13% growth right here. So I know that in, you know, five and a half, six years, let's call it six, um, 11 becomes 22. And then I know I don't have the full six years to make it 44. So I'm just going to discount that a little bit. And I'm going to say I'm in that ballpark of 38 to $40. Okay, ballpark someplace right there. Uh -huh. And okay. our number is probably wrong. And our number is probably wrong. We just don't know if it's wrong, low or long, high. Okay, okay. good. So now I have the future 10 years out earnings, which are now, let's say, $38 or maybe 40 in that range. Okay, so now what I've got to do is figure out the value of the business 10 years from now if the earnings are, let's say, 40 bucks, just to give a round number, okay? Okay, we're changing it to 40. Yeah, just because I, I can do the math in my head driving to work. All right, so now my business is $40 a share. How much would somebody pay for that business if it's growing at 13% a year all the way into the future, another five years or so? How much would somebody pay to get that $40 of earnings? What would they pay? And what they would pay is a multiple of earnings. They're not gonna just, we ain't selling it for one for $40, that's for sure. We're probably not selling it for 80 and a two times earnings because we're gonna get that in two years anyway. Okay. So we're gonna sell it for some multiple of earnings and public companies sell for an average in a good market of two times their earnings. In other words, the, the multiple is two times the earnings. So if we say the earnings are 13% going forward in the future here, um, then we can say that the expected PE ratio or the expected price to earnings ratio or multiple of earnings that somebody will pay for that in the public market is 26. Okay, 13 you said, times two. You said they typically sell two times the earnings. Two times the earnings think, growth rate. Yeah, the earnings growth rate, okay. Right. <clears throat> so if my earnings growth rate is 10%, then I'm gonna expect a PE ratio of 20. If my earnings growth rate is 20%, I'm gonna expect a PE ratio of 40. If my earnings growth rate is 7%, I'm gonna expect a PE ratio of? 14. 14, perfect. Now, the average growth rate of the S&P 500 is roughly 7%. And the average PE for the last 100 years on the S&P 500 is 15. So you can see where that ratio comes from. Yeah, okay. It's just historical what happens. And it requires the markets good, right? Not bad. So we're gonna get a good market 10 years from now. We're continuing to grow the business at 13%. So we would expect to sell this $40 of earnings for 26 times that $40 of earnings. 26 times, okay. Okay, so our lemonade stand is going to be worth $26, sorry, 26 times $40 a share, 26 times 40. Okay, I'm just making notes here. So 13 times two equals 26. That is two times our earnings growth rate. And what we do with that is what? I have Mul no idea. Multiply that 26 uh -huh. times 40. Okay, so we do 
we do the two times the earnings growth rate times the dollars per share of earnings 10 years from now. Yeah, exactly. So we know we got roughly $40 of earnings. We've got rough, a rough PE of 26, and that gives us $1,040, which we just say is $1,000 for round numbers. And we have roughly what this should sell for per share, our little lemonade stand, just continuing to grow really strong, really strong, growing, growing, growing. And now it's worth $1,000 a share in 10 years. Okay. Okay, with me? I see you writing I, notes. I am. I'm, I'm making notes. Okay, so I want to emphasize something here. This strongly depends on our belief in this moat that will it will continue to provide that 13% growth rate all the way out into the future, way past 10 years. Yeah. So yeah, don't make yeah. the mistake of... Because the only way somebody's going to buy it 10 years from now is if they see it doing well for the next 10 years. Exactly. Very important point. So if we look at this company and we think, well, you know, in 10 years, I don't know if the moat's going to be so strong. Two things. Number one, is it really a company we want to own? And number two, you're not going to be able to use that 26 PE. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to drop it if you decide you do want to own it. Now, there's one other number that we should change to, to make the uh, PE ratio approximately right is to look historically at the PE ratios of the company over time. And um, you can go to websites like TD Ameritrade. Um, you can go on our website and it'll tell you the historical PE range. And what you want to use is something that is in the upper end of the historical P.E. range. So the assumption is going to be that the market is good. Um, This company, Lemonade Stand Company, typically gets about a a 20 P.E., something like that. Then we're going to change it to historical P.E. Uh And that's what we did for the Lemonade Stand. Are we calculating twice now? Are we using two different PE numbers? No, we're going to use the lower lower. of two times the growth rate or the historical PE. Okay. Now, in our lemonade stand, we found that the lemonade stands never got PEs of two times their earnings like that. They never got got 26 in their whole history, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, it's such a good business, but it's just only done 20, according to my deep research into lemonade stands. Exactly. It's 20 PE is the upper range of the P.E. ratios this business has got, which might reflect that it's cyclical. You know, it kind of goes up and down with the economy or whatever. But if you if you look historically and you see that the P.E. ratio is never 26, then you can't use 26. You have to use the lower number of 20, which is what we're going to do on our lemonade stand. So now we're changing it. To use, what are we changing it to? To the 20. Right. (laughs) Thank you. Um, If we have $40 per share of earnings 10 years from now, and we had previously calculated 40 times 26, we are now calculating 40 times 20. Exactly. And it comes out to be $800. So you see, it's quite a difference between changing it from 26 to 20. We chopped off over $200 of value there. So yeah. we're going to say that 10 years from now, we should be able to sell this thing for about 800 bucks if we're right per about share. growth rates. Per share. Per share. Per share. Okay. $800 bucks per share. All right. Now we're, now we're almost to the crux of the whole climb here. This is where we make the move. Awesome. $800 is what we're selling this thing for. So how much... Is it worth today? If we're going to sell it for 800, how much is it worth today? There we go. And we know that we have a minimum acceptable rate of return of 15%. 15%. Okay. So here's some beauty 15% means that whatever we buy it for today, it's going to grow along, grow along, and we're going to sell it for 800. So we got to buy it for a number today that will give us an annual compounded growth rate of 15% per year if we sell this in 10 years for $800. So this on Excel is called a present value calculation, and it's equals PV parens. And again, you can Google 
Excel equals PV parens and it'll tell you exactly how to fill it in. And what it's going to do is do a discount for you, uh, discounting that $800 all the way back to some price today that you'd pay for it, that if you paid that price and you hold it for 10 years and sell it for 800, you will have a 15% per year compounded annual growth rate on your purchase price. Cool. Okay, so let's do this right now the easy way. Yeah, I was is, gonna say, what about all of our friends who don't use Excel? Yeah, you're growing, you're just driving your car. Well, you divide 15 into 72 because you know your annual growth rate is 15. Of back to the 72 thing. Yeah, man. <laughs> so 15 into 72 is approximately five. Okay. 15 into 72. We know 15 into 75 is exactly five. So this is approximately five years. And what that means is it's five years to double one time if we're going to get a 15% compounded growth rate. Okay. All right. So now we know we've got 10 years that we're growing this thing to arrive at $800. And now we know that at 15%, it only takes five years to double one time. Okay, now that means we've got a double once to five years and then another double on the second five years. Yes. All right, so think about this for a second. If we start with a dollar and we double it once in five years, we get $2. And if we double that again the next five years, we get $4. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in order, so to figure this out, the easiest way to do this is to just say, that I know that if I'm going to get a 15% compounded annual growth rate, I need to pay one-fourth of what I'm selling this thing for. Yep, got it. So if I sell it for $4, I know that I should start with $1. And if I do that, I will get a 15% compounded growth rate because $1 doubles to 2 and then $2 doubles to, $2 doubles to 4 So all I need to know to know how much to pay for this business I'm gonna sell for $800 is just divide it by four and that is your intrinsic value or sticker price. So divide 800 by four and you get 200 and that is intrinsic value or sticker. That is $200 per share. Per share. Today. Today. That you are saying is the per share value of the company. That's the per share value of our Lemonade company. Today, that's what it's worth. If somebody wanted to buy the whole company, they'd probably have to pay about 200 bucks per share. Got it. Got okay. it. Yeah. And we notice that 200 becomes 400 at 15% per year in five years. And then 400 becomes 800 in the next five years. And we have our correct number. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, okay. cool. Now, last step is that we never pay sticker. Dun, dun, dun. So this <laughs> is where we finally come back. <laughs> we never pay sticker. The margin of safety. Because we are not geniuses. We're getting to. As Charlie says, the, the, you have to account for the normal fluctuations of the market, the vicissitudes of the life. vicissitudes of life. Which include not being all that brilliant and getting the number wrong in the first place. It includes our company not doing as well as we thought. There's a lot of different things, okay? So here's what we're gonna discount it by. We are gonna pay 50% of sticker. That's a lot, that's a big discount. It's a huge discount. We're discounting this thing gigantically. It'd be like you know this townhouse is available out there for $400,000, $400, and you're not gonna pay 400,000, you're gonna pay 200,000. What would be the odds that you'd ever be able to buy that townhome? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right? So yeah. what makes the stock market so fantastic for little investors like us is that the stock market regularly puts that townhome on sale. Regularly. Every four or five years, six years or so, everything goes on sale. Big, you know, take it all out the door at 50% off. Regularly happens. So... What we're looking, not necessarily 50% every four or five years, but certainly 25% or so. And every once in a while, we get a big discount to the whole market of 50%. That's phenomenal. But know this, in certain industries, every year, certain industries go on sale by 50%. Oh, 
which ones? Well, just take a look at the front page of the newspaper and it'll tell you which ones. Coal is going bankrupt. Oil is deep in the depression, right? Commodities are horrible. You know, run away, run away, run away from these things because they're horrible. That would tell you which ones are going on sale. I thought you were saying some of them go on sale regularly every single year. But I think what you actually mean is like every year certain industries happen to be Oh, I think I said it wrong. Yeah, you're right. It's not every year that like goes on sale. Like oil isn't on sale every single year. <laughs> no, not right. But every but, year um, something is... Some particular yeah. industries have some events every year. I see yep. what you're saying. Now, there's Where, some really then, good reasons. And then reasons. other times it's just the entire market goes down and we're in a massive recession and everything's terrible. Exactly. And everything's on sale. So this little formula right here means that this lemonade stand, we want to pay $100 for it. 100 bucks. Okay, so our numbers are approximate as we established. Could I pay $105? Sure. Could I pay $110? Sure. You can get leaky around this, this discipline, but I would say as a novice, you might want to set the bar really low for yourself. Just make sure that you're stepping over six inch bars and not trying to jump over a, a two foot bar. And the more you pay for the business, the higher the bar is that you're getting it right. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay, so let's keep the bar really low. <clears throat> and as novices, we'll just insist on waiting patiently, 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 keyword patiently, for our <laughs> opportunity to come along. And while we're waiting, we just keep doing our homework, digging our canyon deeper and deeper into the areas that we're interested in, and just be patient and know for sure that sometime in the near future, those businesses will go on sale. God, you know, I started this thing out a year ago saying we should make this into a practice so that it's like doesn't have a lot of pressure to be really good at it right away. It's just something you do regularly. And now that you're saying this, I'm like, it is a practice, like <laughs> completely. The practice of patience is so hard. It's so hard when you put so much time into something and you want to get going and your cash is sitting in your little trading account right there all ready to go and you you can't move it. You have to be patient. I mean, it's just it's infuriating, frankly. I'm not good at it. And, it, and it's yet it's funny that, you know, there are certain sports out there that that people do to relax. Like one of them is fly fishing. You know, it's gotten more and more popular as time goes along. And fly fishing is precisely the same sort of deal. You spend a lot of upfront time learning, 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 learning how to tie flies, learning how to put them on the end of your end of your line, learning how to cast the line out, learning how to how to mend the the line in the water. And and then you've got to deal with what fly should you have on the end of this thing? What kind of fish are you fishing for? Where are they in the river? Are they up? Are they down? And you can go on for literally months to years fly fishing without hardly catching anything. But every but people do it because it's fun, because it's it's like part of the whole practice of fly fishing is to sort of get all zen and forget about the goal of catching the fish and just be there in that moment. And I think there's a quality of, of that here. There's a quality of zen study. And I, I knew moment. that there was some reason I don't fly fish, and I think you just hit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, my God. How, I think I've gone fly fishing like four times, and I caught one fish one time, which I was incredibly proud of, and it was entirely because the guide showed me exactly where to put the fly and what to do. I know. When so I, I was take credit for when it. I was in the Army down in uh, Latin America, I have a really good friend of mine who's a fly fisherman. And I never understood it. He would he would go out and spend hours trying to hook a tarpon on a dry fly, these huge fish, and you know, and he would catch one and it would just snap the line off in an instant, and then he would be, you know, trying to do it again. I kept asking him, Listen, Dennis, why don't we just throw a grenade in there, man? And just boom, you got all the tarpon you want. <laughs> of course, that was your suggestion. Of course. Why does that not surprise me at all? <laughs> I know. But I've gotten more zen in my old age. Listen, we got to wrap up. Um, that's a pretty yeah, good I step think that's into value for right me there. Today. Yep. So. Um, okay, good. So we got to um, 
how to figure out, oh, we did a lot today. We got to figure out, first of all, the intrinsic value of the business, which is also known as the sticker price in roll on investing. Yep. And we then got to the margin of safety, which is just half of the sticker price. Yep. And I think yeah. I think this is a huge step. Now, it's not the only way we're going to value a business. We're going to come back to cap rate. We're going to look at some payback time analysis. We're going to look at this lemonade stand a couple more ways as we go forward. We'll recap this view next time. Are we done with margin of safety analysis? Did we get to the end? Yeah, we got to the end. Awesome. Yeah, we're there. Cool. Yep. Okay, so we're going to move on to yet another method next time. Yep, and what we're going to look for is, you know, where do these various ways of looking at the value, what do they tell us about the value of the business? Are they are they really largely different or they come out to about the same? And um, yeah. And we'll see what we think about the lemonade stand after we look at it a couple more simple ways. This was the hardest one. I like, oh, really? Yeah, this is the hardest one. Yep, promise. (laughs) I like the redundancy idea, having a couple different methods to check your work. Yeah, for sure. By the way, just to wrap things up, we know that the cap rate on real estate tells you what your rate of return is the first year. Well, your earnings cap rate, if you can think of it that way, on this particular uh, investment, the lemonade stand, if we got it for $100, we know we're making $11 last year, so we know we're an 11 cap rate. That's a good point. There we go. So now they're they're kind of coming back together here a little yeah. bit. Okay. All right, okay. cool. Well, I guess until next time, shoot any questions you got to Danielle at investedpodcast.com. Is it? Quest- questions at Question. investedpodcast.com. We're, we're not going to answer all of them or even most of them, but we promise we will use them as ideas for the podcast and maybe even directly answer your question. Yep. And, um, and if you'd like to... Come and learn more about this. Come live and, and we'll be here in Atlanta. Uh, usually once a month, I do a three-day course and we're going to let you guys come for free. Go to investedpodcast.com and just click the button that says workshop. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. All right. Till next time. Time to go play. See ya. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do is enter the special podcast code stockpile, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.